Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne, and I'm joined, as ever, by George Corgan and Chris Woff. Coming up this week, we'll be reacting to the Everton win and the Palace defeat, discussing the transfer business of Newcastle United, or lack thereof, uh, looking back at the 4-4 game v Arsenal in an archive special, and we'll be returning to the bar for this week's great Newcastle United pub quiz, all of that coming up in a little bit, but George and Chris, how are you doing, chaps? It's been a week. How's the world treating you? Chris, are you okay? I'm a little bit world-weary, to be honest with you. That uh, mm. It was transfer deadline day on Monday, and that is one of my two least favourite days of the year, along with the other transfer deadline day, uh, <laughs> just because it's just they're just <laughs> awful in terms of... You're never in control as a journalist, and things change so quickly, and so they're just very long days, and then to go into that, into another game. Yeah, a little bit world-weary, but... Uh, I'm grateful to be inside looking out the window where it's absolutely peeing it down and speaking to you guys. I wouldn't usually say that you on, guys. A, on, a, on a Wednesday <laughs> morning, but yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. George, how are you doing? Are you okay? I'm wearing a dressing gown. Lovely. <laughs> Is it suitably closed? I'm showing off a little bit of uh, chest hair there, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's basically Lovely. what I'm doing. It's the morning. I'm not good with mornings. I'm wearing a dressing gown. Hello. I would have thought for you, Colkin, it would have been like a smoking jacket or something like that, you know? Uh, no, no, I've given up smirking and smoking. And jackets. And ja- also jackets. Excellent. Is it silk? Is it a silk dressing gown? That's what no, I'm it's thinking. not. It's. I wish I hadn't brought up dressing gowns now. It's <laughs> taken us down a yes. Has it got your name in Boston the, uh, in the breast? <laughs> no, it's a stripy dressing gown and it's like, it's sort of toweling. It's a toweling dressing gown. It's freezing in my house. It's absolutely freezing. Have you still got the belt for it? Because I always lose my Yes, I've, I have got the belt for it, yeah. I use it to torment <laughs> the cats with. Lovely stuff. <laughs> You're a better man than me. Right. So, uh, anything uh, you've been writing about this week, Chris, in particular? Anything you want to give a quick look to before we crack on? Well, obviously, new signing Joe Willock arrived on Monday, and so I did a sort mm. of long read on what he will bring, looking at on why Scout, at what he can bring in sort of different elements to the midfield. So there's that. Also, from the defeat to uh, Crystal Palace, I've got why Newcastle United... Basically, if you want to, if you want to stop Newcastle United scoring, just give them the ball. They're awful with possession. And also, in a more positive sense, after the Everton game, what was remarkably different about the Everton game to all previous matches? So all of those are on the Athletic at the moment for you to read. Lovely, lovely stuff. How about you, George? You've been you've been up to anything recently? Um, I've helped Alan Shearer with his latest interview uh, with Ronald Koeman, the Barcelona manager, which um, came out this week. That was um, lovely. That was great fun to to listen in on. And uh, yeah. when you say helped, has Shira been getting you to do his homework for him? Is that what this is? That's basically there's a bit of that going on. Yeah, there's a bit of that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Alan is, is he's not new to journalism because obviously he's been working for the BBC and on our side of the fence for a long time now. But um, 
it's the first time he's kind of written written stuff. So um, so I'm sort of helping him helping him out with a bit of that. And the the interview with Kuban is really good, talking about Messi and um, chaos that's at Barcelona this season. One billion quid in debt and wow. can't buy anybody. And uh, you know that sense of transition at a club that. Uh, can't ever do transition. It's too big for that. Um, which I thought was really interesting. The, the pair of them first got to know each other in that amazing England Holland game, Holland England game, yeah. which was the Graham Taylor impossible job game, um, and that was when they first came across each other on the pitch, and they've kept in kept in touch since. So I've been doing a bit of that. Brilliant. Sounds incredibly interesting. Well, to read those articles in full, let me quickly remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic right now for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled Newcastle coverage in 2021, as well as all the ad-free podcasts via the app. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. A typical week in Newcastle United land, a fantastic performance and a result and a win against Everton and then everything came crashing back down to earth against Palace. Chris, it's been one of those weeks, hasn't it? It's been topsy-turvy, it's been upside down, who knows what's going on? Well, yeah, how do I respond to that? I mean, yeah, basically it, it, it has been precisely what you've just said. I mean, Everton was so refreshing because it was so different to everything we've seen over the last few months in that it wasn't just that Newcastle won and in the end won quite comfortably, they actually thoroughly deserved to win. And the way that they played, they played with aggression, they played with intent, they pressed the ball, they really caused Everton problems, they were efficient in attack, and they came away from Goodison Park having really uplifted a lot of supporters. And what was what I found brilliant on Tuesday was that for once, for, for the first time in a long time that I can remember, a lot of Newcastle fans that I spoke to were actually really looking forward to the game against Palace and because this is Newcastle United and because we're not allowed to be optimistic and then that actually that optimism be fulfilled Palace was a bit of a bit of a in terms of the end the result was a bit of a come down really I mean for the first 45 minutes of five minute defensive horror show aside actually I thought Newcastle played pretty well and could and should have scored more than one goal but the second half was a reversion to type really and this is what I was saying that I wrote about after the game and it was the first time all season Newcastle have had more than 50% possession. Second half, they actually had 70.6% possession. But the more of the ball that Palace let Newcastle have, the less threatening they became. And this, is, <laughs> this isn't just a problem under Steve Bruce. This is basically since Newcastle have come back up to the Premier League, this has quite often happened. It happened under Rafa Benitez as well. I remember games yeah. against Fulham and Palace and other matches where when Newcastle have to break down the opposition, when they what Roy Hodgson did at half-time was basically say, I'm going to shut this game down. You, you have to come and break us down. And Newcastle don't have the ideas or invention to do so. And that's what Bruce really needs to address because I imagine Southampton will do not quite the same, but something similar. They'll, they'll want to let Newcastle have some of the ball on Saturday. And Newcastle have to become more inventive because they, they're not used to having more possession. And that showed because they just did not create enough clear-cut chances during the second half. They didn't, and I mean the one word I would use to sum up uh, last night's game, George, was frustrating, wasn't it? It, it was, it was very, very frustrating. Yeah, I mean I'm disappointed, but I'm not angry, and that in some ways Ooh, that's that's worse, of, isn't it? Well, it's worse, but it's also better. I mean, I'm also I don't feel I don't kind of come away from last night's game and feel empty. Mm. I feel I do feel something, and and that's you know that's a nice 
that's a nice change. Everton was really good. I mean, Everton was the, I'm, I'm sure, was the best performance of the Steve Bruce era. Oh, it was a great result, and I enjoyed it. I mean, it's that sense. I mean, it's worth yes. even now, a few days later, stepping back and saying, my God, I enjoyed a game of football, and I enjoyed yeah. the way Newcastle played. Um, and, you, you know, showed once and for all that this is a team and a squad that can can do more than it has been doing and that is capable of better. And yes, they've had problems with COVID and illness and injury and all that sort of stuff, but it's better than what it's shown. And there is a sort of blueprint there. I think from yesterday, I don't come I mean, Newcastle Twitter was an angry Twitter again last night, and that felt like yeah. that's where we are in the, in the cycle, that sort of every defeat is going to sort of have that big lurch back back to sort of anger and I don't I don't I didn't feel like that I mean it wasn't any you know there was no sort of comparison to Everton really except that Newcastle started very well and started with that intent and the defending was really poor for both goals but you know we don't have a brilliant squad of brilliant players we've we bought players you know for not very much money and what what do you get with that what do you get frailty with it and you get weaknesses with it it did get very ragged in the second half, as Chris said, when Newcastle it had all, all that possession and sort of run out of ideas. But, you know, to to to, to even just have 21 shots or whatever it was, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like Steve Bruce sort of pointing to signs of encouragement when the situation is a bit sort of graver than that. But I do, I do look at that game, I look at Everton, I look at the, you know, some of the second half against Leeds, and I, I, at least this is a Newcastle trying to attack and trying to have the ball. And if they're not brilliant at that yet, I sort of understand it because it's not something they're used to be doing. We've said this countless times. They hate the football. They don't like mm. it. And yeah. so encouraging them to have it and or forcing them to have it when they're chasing a game, it, it becomes a sort of different dynamic. But I do look at Southampton on Saturday and particularly after what happened to them at Manchester United and getting thrashed 9-0, it feels to me like another really, really big match because okay signs of encouragement blah 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 positive football yeah great but it it's a big one now um Newcastle have played more the same number of games or more games than anybody else down at the bottom Bryant have a game in hand Fulham have a couple of games in hand and if they were to win those which would be miraculous bearing in mind their form so far this season that gap at the bottom goes down to virtually nothing so Big game on, you know, signs of encouragement, but yeah. my God, it's a big game on Saturday now. Well, to try and stay with the positivity a bit, Chris, the uh, the tactical difference in the weeks that have uh, have led up to the Everton game and then the Everton performance itself, it was massive, wasn't it? It was, it was so refreshing to see Newcastle play like that, play with a little bit of freedom, play with the shackles off, as Steve Bruce has said on a number of times he wanted to play in this diamond form- formation with uh, three midfielders kind of roaming in behind Miguel Almiron, uh, it was it was nice it was a nice performance to watch, wasn't it? Was it a diamond formation? That was Steve Bruce's response. That was Steve Bruce's response. Well, <laughs> that was Steve Bruce's response. I mean, it looked oh, like one. It well, twice like he was one. asked I mean, that question by the, I think it was by the same journalist actually after the game and then yeah. after and then also on Monday and he, he responded in the same way both times. I mean, essentially, what I think it it was basically like a four one two one two almost and. It did work, and what was so refreshing in a strange sort of way, and it shouldn't have been refreshing, was that players were actually in the position you'd expect them to be. So Isaac Hayden was shielding the back four and did that very, very well, but also was given the licence when Newcastle pressed to actually come and press forward, and he won the ball high on a few occasions. Isaac, lovely Isaac. (laughs) 
see what you've done now, Chris. I apologise. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. We need to come up with a code word that George doesn't understand or mention his name. But um, <laughs> then. In front of Hayden, then that, that sort of liberated Shelby, and it was possibly Hendricks' best performance in a long while for Newcastle as well. And those two looked more comfortable in that position where Shelby didn't have to do as much or wasn't expected to do as much running back. And then Almiron in the in the sort of uh, number ten or just behind the striker role really did look liberated. He that was the best performance I've seen in a long, long while, and he was pulling the strings. And man of the match by a mile, even though most Newcastle players played well, obviously, was Callum Wilson, who was yeah. absolutely outstanding. And he, it was interesting because he was withdrawn slightly to the right, and that was it was clearly a ploy. I think it was 55% of Newcastle's opportunities came down that side, I, I wrote in my piece, which was different to, to the few matches before, and they, they clearly had targeted that side of the, of the Everton defence. And he, he ran the team, he ran the Everton defence ragged, he brought teammates into play. He could mm. and should have scored even more than the two goals yes. he had, and he was angry at himself afterwards, but it was one of the best all-round centre-forward performances for Newcastle I've seen in a long, long while. Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? And uh, <clears throat> I love. Excuse me, my throat has just decided to stop working. <clears throat> oh, sorry about that, chaps. I'll just sound very flemmy. Sound very flemmy. Mm. Flemish. I'm. Pr- I'm going to Belgium soon. So I've been practicing with Flemish. <laughs> I was born in Belgium. I was born in Brussels. Why do I not know that? That's amazing. Do you want to know why I was born in Brussels? Come on, you're a sprout. No, that's a stupid thing to say. I was born in Brussels because that's where my mother's uterus was at the time. Wow, okay. Wow. How, how, how I wasn't expecting such a medical quickly. answer, but thanks for that. Factually accurate. <laughs> that's great. It's a lovely place, Brussels. It's nice. It is, yeah. yeah. All the better for you not being there anymore, though, George, I must say. Correct. Uh, okay. Uh, where were we? <laughs> I can't even think of what we were talking about now. Always George expect the unexpected. Uterus. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Callum Wilson. Callum Wilson was wonderful, wasn't he? he and that infectious smile of his as well. Uh, I, I must say I go slightly weak at the knees uh, whenever he scores a goal and runs over and kisses the camera. I think my TV's now pregnant after that. Uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> absolutely lovely stuff. Um, but Miguel Almiron, I just want to make a point about him. Oh, um, yeah. I, like you say, the shackles were off for him particularly um, when he's not tethered to one side of the pitch or the other and he does like to roam and pick the ball up. But the, the thing I have to talk about is his work rate is just unbelievable. Uh, and it reminds me of the old quote by Terry McDermott about David Kelly when he says he would chase a toffee wrapper all over the pitch in the wind. And and he would do exactly the same, wouldn't he? He's one of these players who will run himself into the ground for you. Uh, but going back over and defending, he was magnificent. And going forward as well and putting pressure on the defenders, he did it for the full game against Everton. And he was like an angry wasp at a child's picnic in the summer in the park, just annoying everybody and being a pain in the arse, basically. And I love that about him, Chris. He's just... I, I love watching him. He plays football with so much joy and... Bless him, I want to give him a little cuddle. He's lovely. Well, alongside uh, Callum Wilson, another player with a wonderful smile as well. And it's mm. it's good. it was good to see him, because we haven't seen enough of him doing that, because, I mean, his own form hasn't been brilliant in an attacking sense, but I think that's partly, as you say, because of how he's been used, and he's been shunted out to the wings, he's been played in a sort of midfield three at times. But the best football we've seen for Miguel Moron is, is is it either a double pivot number 10 or is it is, it, is a single number 10 he, in the last six months of Rafa Benitez's time and what? then what? I, a double, a double, double pivot number 10 with your technical bollocks Chris a double pivot number 10 what the what does that mean well, I just sort of made it up I was trying to explain what I meant 
uh, in terms of the the last six months of Rafa Benitez's time when it was him and Perez just off Rondon, or when it was either side of Project Restart when he was actually a number ten in a sort of four two three one. That is the best that we've seen of Miguel Almiron. He, he he likes those the space, and we actually saw it for the first half against Crystal Palace. There was a space between the midfield and the defence, and he Double he got pivot. himself in those gaps. George, can you do something about this? Because he's this can't be allowed to happen. He can't be allowed to come on here and talk like that. Do you want me to talk about false tens instead? No. What does double pivot mean? It doesn't matter. Let's move on. It doesn't matter. You said it and I want to know what it means. Well, think back to when Rafa Benitez no. was at Newcastle United. Uh. <laughs> and, who, and Perez and Almiron were just behind Rondon and sort of given the freedom to roam on both sides. But, but there so weren't you mean there really were two, wingers. There were two number tens, you mean? Yeah, essentially. False, well, the false tens, number ten. First, I would love to see Steve Bruce's face if you ask him in the next press conference if he's uh, if he's deploying Miguel Almiron as a double pivot number ten. It's got nothing to, to do with him. Graham, his Graham head Jones will explode. Graham Jones picked the team. We all know that. Oh yes, indeed. All right, that's a joke. That's a joke. Before yes. anyone says anything, that is a joke. No, but the thing about Almiron, I mean, he was through the middle. He's been through the middle, and that carried on last night. And he's up the pitch, and that's the same with Wilson, and it's the same with Fraser. I mean, it's it's not rocket science. How Attacking players look better if they if their starting position is 10, 15 yards further up the yep. pitch because that's where they're supposed to be. And so, I mean, Almiron has looked like a lost player for a lot of this season and his form hasn't hasn't been good, but suddenly put him in a position where he can cause some damage, then it looks different and he can run at people and you know they can still do he can still do the same thing. He can do a job for the team, as you say, Taylor. His work rate's extraordinary. He defends. Um, he gets the team up the pitch. All those things are really important. But, you know, him and Fraser throwing in those crosses. Again, there was more of that last night. Cross, yeah. really good crosses and really good delivery and, and Wilson causing problems. And they should have had more goals last night. I mean, I think that's, you know, I think that's fair to say, albeit Palace missed uh, an extraordinary sitter from Andros Townsend. Oh towards my the God, end. yes. Sure, um, but, but they had, you know, they created really good chances and that is a, of a consequence of attacking players getting in attacking positions. Mm. Well, perhaps the green shoots a recovery from Newcastle United's point of view. Uh, we shall see uh, against Southampton at the weekend and hopefully coming off the back of a 9-0 battering by Man United, well, they might be uh, primed for uh, to roll over and allow Newcastle United to do the same to them. I would love that. So, moving on. How's the bacon, did you say? Yeah. Ten years ago this very week, cast your minds back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Newcastle United and Arsenal played out one of the most ridiculous games of football in Premier League history. Uh, we're going to take a look back at that now with an archive special. Have a little listen to this. Lost Abu Dhabi to a red card four minutes into the second half and with it went all composure. In goes the free kick. Colaccini nearly got a head on it. Tiote, great strike! added time to play this game is going down in Premier League history what a goal and what a celebration and what an end now 
Oh, oh shivers oh, up the spine. Chills, literal chills, lads. Literal chills. Yeah, that's the, the weather. One. <laughs> <laughs> Need your dressing gown tight or closed. Yeah. Uh, the wonderful uh, Mr. Czech Teotihuacan, God bless him, um, with the equalising goal against Arsenal in a 4-4 draw 10 years ago this week. Does it feel like 10 years ago, Chris? Oh, my God, I can't believe it's 10 years ago. Uh, in one sense, no, but then when I think back, I was actually at university at the time and uh, up in Edinburgh, so I didn't get back f- for that game. And I remember, I remember vividly the moment when Czech Teotihuacan scored because... Um, I'm going to reveal here that I did something a little bit naughty. I was watching the game on a stream, but my flatmate who was Christopher old, who Waffles. Was, I know, it's oh, horrendous. Don't let us really find out about that, Chris. Oh. I just got back from 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 work. I worked in the student union shop, and I was watching it uh, in the living room on my laptop. And then my flatmate was watching it on the living room uh, in his bedroom on his laptop. But my stream was about thirty seconds behind, so he ran in like screaming and I was like what the heck's happened what the heck's happened and then I looked at the screen and checked Teotihuacan hit the volley and, and, and uh, yeah so that was a brilliant moment but just what a what a strange game of football because obviously first half was just absolutely horrendous but then by the end it just felt so euphoric an astonishingly weird game of football wasn't it and a, and a, and a very Newcastle United performance in that first half of that game with, with Arsenal racing away into a 4-0 lead Theo Walcott doing his usual thing of not playing or performing until he comes up against our back four and we give him the freedom of the city uh, and scoring goals for fun and George it was just a manic day wasn't it like it it was everything that, that we come to expect from this team wasn't it yeah it was um, I was in the stadium um, I mean the uh, I always try and sort of put things in context and the con- the context for that game of course was that barely a week before Andy Carroll had left and uh, for Liverpool and that extraordinary transfer after Alan Pardew had said no he's not going anywhere we're not selling him and and then suddenly he's gone on transfer deadline day and it's like you know it's one of those weeks where you feel like the trapdoor is going to be released under the club. I mean, we've had so many of those moments, you know, this season, last season, you know, in recent history. But it honestly, it's like the ground, the ground was shaking under under St James's, and then we come into that game and Arsenal, Arsenal go into a four 0 lead, and pe- people left at half time. I mean, people they left did. at half time. I was yeah. working, I was working for the Times. One of the things I had to do afterwards was get a hold of, try to get a hold of some people who'd left, and I did. I found a couple, and it's obviously something that they will regret um regret forever but i mean my god the um the noise by the end i mean when you talk about st james's and what that stadium can feel like and be be like and the noise it can generate there is nowhere better there's nowhere noisier there's nowhere more raw there's nowhere more angry and there's nowhere happier and just that sort of explosion when teotes goal went in oh my goodness i mean it that the noise crowds out everything else from your brain there's no room for anything else in your brain in those moments and you know your head's already spinning because it's it's a ridiculous sort of story um and uh, just just a brilliant 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 moment yeah, I mean, it's it, when you're looking back at the game, I, I did a little bit of research on this and look back at, at the actual game itself. The first half, Arsenal were well in charge, as you know, but they were 4-0 up after 26 minutes. It's astonishing, yeah. 
4 yeah. nil at 26 minutes and Walcott scored after I think it was 40 seconds or something like that uh, Johan Giroud scored after 3 minutes Van Persie after 10 and then Van Persie again after 26 minutes Newcastle hadn't even had a touch of the ball barely by that point uh, and then by the end of the game we still ended up with 55% possession now I know uh, Arsenal had a, had a, a man sent off uh, Diaby got the red card and that really changed the game didn't it and Newcastle started to throw everything forward there was there was strikers coming on left, right and centre. And of course, the wonderful names that we remember from the game. Uh, Peter Lovenkrantz was involved, Leon Best, and even a lesser spotted Nile Ranger got on towards the end and very nearly set up a winning goal for Kevin Nolan in the last couple of seconds. But what an outstanding and amazing day. I've got a mate, by the way, who, who was at the game who left. He did leave um, and he still to this day, he just shrinks. Uh, when we talk about it, and I say, I still can't believe you walked out of that game. And if Newcastle United have taught us anything about football, is that you do not walk away from a game. It doesn't matter what point of the game it is. No, absolutely. And um, no, I mean, but for, as you say, 4-0 down after 26 minutes, you are talking about those re- the, the realms of Man U 9, Southampton nil, aren't you, at that point? I mean, you just think that um, there's no way... There was no way back, and yeah, obviously the the sending off had a huge had a huge effect. But it was almost like you could see the momentum change. I mean, it was like a visceral thing. You could see it. You know, sometimes you have to look back in games and think, well, what, you know, what happened there? How did you know? Why did that happen? And sometimes, you know, sometimes goals come out of nowhere and it changes things. But you could see momentum shifting, and then suddenly it was just all behind Newcastle, and they were hanging on. And it's extraordinary how that can how that can happen. It can be all one team and then something happens and then it's all the other team. And it, it was, you know, it's like watching, uh, you know, the, the, a grandfather clock in slow motion, seeing how the pendulum is moving. And by the end, it was just <laughs> this force of nature, yes. force of nature occasion. And it's, you know, it's how you, it's the St. James's Park of your dreams, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The noise that day was incredible. Uh, and the, the the moment itself, the Teotihuacan moment, the goal, I mean, we heard the, the commentary before there, and it does still make the hair stand up on your neck. Um, th- have you ever seen a more pure strike of a football than that, Chris Woff? I mean, my God, check Teotihuacan. Didn't score many goals, but my God, what a finish that is. He didn't, but the only other goal that he nearly scored in that same way was disallowed against Man City if you remember correctly as well That's he scored, right, yeah. it wasn't quite as far out and was it, but it was a very similar sort of strike but yeah of all of the people you'd have wanted the ball to land to Czech Teotihuacan would not have been that <laughs> the one you'd have wanted I mean the yeah. likes of Kevin Nolan Lovenkranz on, on the pitch at, the, at that time yeah. Joey Barton all of these players you'd have rather had ahead of even um, Leon Best. <laughs> yeah, even Leon Best. And the, I mean, the, I was going to say the one disappointment for me that looking back at this game, well, I'm sure it's the one disappointment for you is that James Perch did not get on. He was an unused <laughs> substitute and there was there was one substitute position remaining that Newcastle could have used and he did not he get there. on. He was there, that's all that mattered. He had an impact. He was the one who cheered them on from the bench. It was him who screamed. But, 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 but like when I said at the, said at the start, it was one of, one of those sort of trapdoor moments for Newcastle. I mean, you have to, you know... the. Andy Carroll had gone. They just lost their best player for yeah. thirty-five million quid. He'd gone to Liverpool. Nobody signed. I mean, obviously, Shevki Kucci would eventually, you know, eventually come in for a free and all that. But it was like, no, it's like this is one of those. It's one of those huge turning points you think in the sort of club's recent history. And that, you know, it happened. Obviously, it was an astonishing amount of money for Andy Carroll. But you know, it was that thing. How can it be good? Good business when you've got nothing to show for it at the end of it. And and. 
everything, you know, this is going on. It's 4-0 to Arsenal. I can't, you know, can't believe it. And then suddenly Newcastle somehow find a way of sort of changing the story and, you know, dragging something good out of what felt like it was going to be a horrific moment yeah. for the club. You know, they put themselves massively under pressure with that deal. And then to end as they did was, you know, just just brilliant. But it is, it's hairs on the back of their neck now. Also a, a, a mention for the, the absolute size of Joey Barton's brass knackers for uh, for taking a Penanka penalty at 4-2 yeah. down uh, in the 83rd minute of the game and, and very close to missing it as well. So Chesney got a, a toe on the end of it and it scooped up into the roof of the net. But I think the noise just grew, didn't it? I think that first goal went in, Joey Barton's first penalty, uh, and I think it was a kind of nice ripple of applause when we've scored a goal. Leon Best scored and suddenly... The atmosphere in the stadium changes a little bit. Now, is this possible? And then when the penalty goes in, that's when the entire crowd is behind Newcastle, forcing them forward. And that's when St James's Park is the is the twelfth man on the pitch. And then in that last few minutes, after the equaliser as well, I've never known anything like that. If we had scored there in that last few minutes, I think the entire entirety of the stadium would have just rose up out of the ground and just ascended into space. I think that's what would happen if we scored <laughs> in that last couple of minutes. I think you know, I think that would have been it. Game over. Football's finished. We've done it. That's it. You can't you can't well, get any better than that. Well Barton was saying Barton said afterwards that four nil down that it, it was just they all they were doing on the pitch after twenty six minutes was was he actually said we were trying to avoid a cricket score. And yeah. you know that it was proper survival mode. They'd gone into survival mode. And then who it was? It was Steve Harper did his kind of wrestling um, WWE <laughs> drop, drop, didn't he? After the equal, like, <laughs> who did Leon Best arse, wasn't it? Leon Best missed two games. Yeah, well, all the players, all the players <laughs> yeah. were sort of on uh, a heap, and then he did it onto Leon Best. Yeah, yeah, he gave him the people's elbow, didn't he? I think he did. There were some games, and there were some games. I mean, you know, the the there are sort of there's decorum rules of decorum in the sort of press box. It's all that sort of thing. I mean, there are, there are a few memorable examples over my my career where that's gone. I mean, I remember Germany five, England one. I mean, some of the most experienced journalists over the last sort of 20, 30, 40 years were da- literally dancing in the press box. Uh, in Munich that night, and uh, and I was there and up with them, and then certainly that day. Um, people were on their feet because you get swept away. However, sort of, however professional y- you want to be and try to be, there are just there are just some games and some stories where you get swept away by the atmosphere and the occasion. And by the end of that, it's like no, you you've forgotten your laptop. You're just watching. You're just watching and waiting to see what happened next. But it was oh god, brilliant. I think a few uh, a few writers copy would have went out the window at half time after uh, after <laughs> they'd started submitting their uh, yeah. submitting their bits and pieces for the uh, for the game and then had to rewrite it all at the end. But what an astonishing moment and a fantastic iconic game in Newcastle United history. Lovely, lovely uh, time looking back at that. Ten years ago this week, fantastic. Let's move on. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Right, so the transfer window has closed. It has slammed shut. Uh, Newcastle United uh, didn't do an awful lot of business. Joe Willock arrives on loan from Arsenal for the rest of the season. And DeAndre Yedlin uh, departs after a few years at Newcastle United and joins Galatasaray. Uh, let's start with that Joe Willock uh, arrival because that's probably the, the exciting bit of news, isn't it? And a young and fresh player to go into that midfield. Chris, uh, you've been having a little look at this as well and a look at Joe Willock in particular in a, in a, in a more extended piece. How, how are you feeling about this one? Does this one get you excited? Um, I think it's... I wouldn't say fully excited. I, I'm pleased that he's arrived because I think he brings something different. <laughs> but I wouldn't. I, no, I'm, I'm just. I'm just being. I'm just being honest. I'm not. I'm not. I'm You're not, not quite uh, fully erect. Partially. Partially, <laughs> partially, yeah. Partially excited. Semi. Yeah, semi excited. Semi on. Yeah. Semi on. Well, ex- excited would be a bit strong. Is is just what I'm trying to say. I mean, I think he is. A, I think he is a good addition in the sense that Newcastle needs someone who will bring a point of difference, and hopefully Joe Willock will. What what Steve Bruce has wanted. Basically, since he's he's arrived and really since Mo Diarme left just before he came in, was someone who can carry the ball from midfield, someone who can drive forward and can be basically the link player between the sort of midfield and attack. And Joe Willock, in theory, is that player. I've, I've, as I say, I went on Y Scout and looked at what he can and does bring. And and he's someone who arrives late into the box. He tries to link up with the forward players. He's very good at carrying the ball. And and he's very he's very calm in possession, which Newcastle haven't necessarily. They've got a lot of midfielders now. Newcastle far too many, really, but a lot of them are very samey. And so what Joe Willock brings in theory is, is something different. There, he wasn't the first choice. By I mean, they, they wanted Jesse Lingard. Really, was that sort of player that they wanted, and, and they missed out. He went to to West Ham, and ideally, what Bruce wanted was someone like Willock, as well as obviously. Hamza Chowdhury, who I'm sure we'll go on to, but Willick, in that sense, yeah, and I think he will. Basically, the statements that have come out of Arsenal from Mikel Arteta and Edu basically suggest that they expect him to to play fairly regularly between now and the end of the season. So you think he's going to fit somewhere into the team to to just bring that. Crucially, point of difference was saying that the reason that Newcastle struggled against Palace was they couldn't break them down. They didn't have someone who could do a little bit diff- something a little bit different. They didn't have someone arriving in the box late. That's what Joe Willock can and needs to bring. He's 21 years old. He's still fairly raw, and in in I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that Newcastle are developing other people's players, but at the same time. Everything seems short-termism at Newcastle at the moment, and if this is a yeah. stopgap solution, then I think it's a reasonable enough one. I think he's a decent addition to the squad. Chris, Chris, if you're looking up, if you're looking up Newcastle players on Y Scout, does it not become YI Scout? <laughs> oh come on, it's early. Oh yes. come on! Oh wow! Oh no, yes, no, George. Do you know what? I tough. was going to make that exact same joke, and I'm glad you fell on it rather than me because yeah, tough, tough crowd, yeah. tough crowd, tough, tough crowd. Wow, tough gig. Yeah, so Newcastle looking for a kind of box-to-box midfielder. Um, but George, it, I mean, this is a short-term loan deal. It's only until the end of the season. Who do you, I mean, if you see him playing, who does he replace? I mean, the, the obvious one for me would be to come in instead of Jeff Hendrick if we're playing in this current formation, if we continue like this. But I don't know whether Steve Bruce is going to keep this formation next week or not, or whether he's going to have wholesale changes again. So who does Joe Willock replace? I mean, firstly, it feels a lot less necessary after... Everton, I think. I mean, I, I think before Everton uh, were looking at the end of the window and thinking, you know, Newcastle have to do something. They have to do something. They have to bring one in, preferably preferably more, just to freshen things up. And then I think Everton 
had the effect of freshening things up by itself because those players that Newcastle already had looked different. I mean, they looked much more different and uh, they looked, you know, energised and and refreshed and vibrant. And so it sort of felt a little less important to me. I hope, just to, on that subject of formation and stuff like that, I think the point is he shouldn't jettison it now. It's, no. He's shown it can work. It didn't work as well against Palace, but Newcastle were still attacking and... and that in itself is a positive thing because they haven't been doing any of that and they've barely been defending either. They've just been standing on the pitch, getting in the way, really, of the of the opposition, or that's how it's felt. So I hope... <laughs> Training I hope horns. He's, yeah. I ho- yeah, I hope he sticks with it. I'm not saying he'll stick with it necessarily in away games at Chelsea at Man United, which they've got coming up, because I think I still think three at, the, three at the back will play a part. But in terms of sort of the natural setup of the team, I hope he sticks with it, certainly against Southampton. Mm. I'm not sure who he would replace in the in the short term. I'm not sure Hendrick did much last night against Palace, but I think he was I think he was important, um very important uh, against Everton. And I heard this point uh, on the True Faith podcast actually and it's a very good one. I think the fact we're not in the stadium. Chris can maybe sort of talk with a bit more expertise about this because he's he's going to sort of all the home games, although I will be there on Saturday for once. But Hendrick does a lot of his work off the ball and that has become so much of an important part of the of the of the modern game. The effort that that um that players have to put in when they don't have possession. And obviously that's something really important for Newcastle who don't have possession. Anyway, um yes, you would think that that Hendrick might be the the more the more vulnerable one. I I think it's interesting for all sorts of reasons actually because you know it's now what is it Chris three four games that Sean Longstaff's not even been on the bench. Yep, three yeah, four yeah. four games, and I do think that's a I think that's a kind of fascinating story. Um, you know him and him and Matty who obviously played together for that Manchester United game which was sort of seen as the you know one of the big moments of Steve Bruce's early time at the club his first you know his first victory over Manchester United as a manager came after a you know run of bad results and it looked like we were seeing Matty scored that great goal and it looked like we were sort of seeing the future of the club or the future of the club's midfield for years and years possibly Um, and Sean is now just completely out of the reckoning and Matty's on the bench again and there was a lot of buzz around whether either or both might be let out on loan um, before the window closed and obviously neither uh, neither, neither went out. But I think that's an interesting thing and as Chris says, there is that, you know, that feeling about developing another club's players. Well, it would be nice for Newcastle to, to also develop the two players they already have and I'm not trying to say that either of the Longstaff brothers are, are world beaters although Sean looked like one briefly albeit it was very very early days but in those early moments under Benitez he looked he looked some player and I hope that it doesn't impact on their development because they could save they could save the club a lot of money at the moment you have to say that it looks like Sean Longstaff is what sixth choice midfielder or something you know something yeah. like that and that's a shame anyway i'm looking forward to seeing Willock. i hope he i hope he brings something to the team but um yeah i hope it also doesn't impact on the players newcastle already have definitely not uh another one as well uh an outgoing this time deandre yedlin uh leaves and joins galatasaray on a free uh transfer joined newcastle united back in 2016 from spurs under Rafa Benitez. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin's time at Newcastle. Up and down, isn't it, Chris? Mixed? 
Yeah, mixed, but I think actually he's been quite an important player over the last few years in a, in a, in a difficult time in Newcastle's history. Obviously, the, the, he came in after they'd been relegated and was very important in the championship season, sort of flicked between him and Vernon Eater at right back. He was the attacking option um, when needed. And, and when they came back to the Premier League, in theory, he was only ever meant to be, I think, a short-term sort of signing and that Newcastle would look to upgrade in most positions. That was Benitez's idea, but but obviously that, that didn't happen. And instead, he stayed for a good few years. And defensively, we know he had issues and we know his position, he, was in, he had caused a lot of problems, but he was one of the few players with genuine pace Newcastle had, and he was very important on the counter-attack a lot of times and I, I think he's, he was a very popular figure within the dressing room I think he, he, sh- he, he I think he got a fond farewell from most fans that I've seen anywhere on social media and most that I've spoken to and I wish him all the very best he's been at a strange last six months from I mean last summer it very much looked like he was going to leave I think the communication with the club, as he's come out and said, wasn't brilliant as far as he's concerned. And he ended up staying. He was third choice, well, fourth choice right back or right wing back, if you include Jacob Murphy, I suppose, for large periods. Then he came back into the team in December, became first choice right wing back. And Steve Bruce spoke the other day about how if he's looking to move to a back four, which is interesting in itself, but a side point because he's sort of denied that that's exactly what he wants to do all the time. But he has now said that, that... DeAndre Yedlin is more of a wing back and so therefore that they decided to let him go because they needed to free up space if they wanted to bring someone in, which obviously they couldn't. So I wish him all the yeah. very best in Galatasaray. It'd be a very different environment. Ooh, um, absolutely. Across there. <laughs> but uh and travelling across in a pandemic, I know having spoken to people close to him that it was a difficult and frantic sort of forty eight hours trying to get him across there. COVID testing, he had to go via Dublin and all this sort of stuff. But he eventually got there, deal got completed, and no, I wish him all the very best. And my understanding is, yes, it was a free transfer to begin with, but Newcastle have around about a 30% sell-on clause in his contract. And also uh, they get this sort of around about a million they can recoup depending on uh, his performances for Galatasaray as well. I always I always looked at him as a sort of triple pivot, double foxtrot, <laughs> tango fullback, Chris. Did you, would you agree with that assessment? <laughs> I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. <laughs> well, that's a bonus for all concerned. I like oh, I, I like Edlin. I mean, he, jo- he as Chris said, he joined the club at a, at a really important time. He's played a big part in the club getting up and and staying up. And he has. fascinating backstory in his in his life. And yes, never ever let the club down is how I would uh, is how I would say. And I think it's right after five years to to mark his departure and say thank you very much and and good luck. Absolutely, 125 appearances for Newcastle, three goals. And 11 assists, and most importantly of all, he had a dog that liked to skateboard. Farewell, Simba. Yedling. Good luck. His dog's called what? Simba, I think. Simba. Simba, Simba the skatewalking dog and all his adventures. That would be a good be a good cartoon, <laughs> that, wouldn't it? Simba the skatewalk, skateboarding dog. Yeah, if you can see it. Right, quiz time, chops. Oh, quiz time. Whose idea was this quiz? <laughs> Quiz time again. It's my turn this week. I am in charge. Just want you to close your eyes for a moment, George and Chris. Where's my bell? I've got bell. me dinger here. Oh, yeah, I need to get my dinger. I need to get my dinger out. Right, Let's got just it. see Go what on. mine sounds like. That's, that's awful. Good, is it? No, that's terrible. <laughs> it's all got mine. Hang on. Excellent. There we go. There's my dinger. Still piss poor. Still piss oh. poor dinger. I know listen, I shouldn't have the dinger. I shouldn't have the dinger unless I'm actually asking the listen, questions, but I love it so Colton, much. Listen, I can make this really difficult for you or really easy, so just 
Stop always going to be really right. difficult. I'm not going to win. Okay. So first of all, um, just shut your eyes for me, chaps. Okay. And imagine this. This week's pub quiz is taking place at the Tyne Bar. Mm. Uh, it's a warm midsummer's early evening. It's a Friday. We are post-work. A mm. haze has descended on the River Tyne, and we've crossed the threshold to the point where you either go home or you keep drinking. This is officially a session. But before we plunge headlong into a night of debauchery on the quayside, we have the small matter of the Newcastle United pub quiz. Here we go. Mm, that's a beautiful scene. Beautiful scene. Lovely scene. You can smell you can smell the used burn, can't you? You can just smell you the used burn. Where the used burn meets the time. And a bit of hot. Absolutely. And there's a live band playing, isn't there, just outside, and it's uh, you can sort of hear it. and Ruining um, the atmosphere. Fucking absolutely awful noise, this. Is this your band, Taylor? Um, it's, if it's um, an awful noise, then it'll be my band. <laughs> it's gorgeous. I'm, I'm slightly hazy. I'm slightly hazy. I'm, I'm moving from... Okay, let's do it. Come on, I'm up Lovely stuff. Okay, mm. so all of the questions this week are based on transfers. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, we've got a, we're going to split this into three categories. We've got a deadline day, we've got quotes, and we have got departures and arrivals. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to toss a coin and I want you to, to call it in the air, heads or tails. So, one, two, three. Tails. It is a tail, Chris. Would you like to go first or would you like to pass to Colton to go first? Pass to Colton. Oh, pass to coward. Colgan. You coward. Okay, okay. Are you ready, George? No. Good, then we shall begin. Andy Cra- Andy Carroll. <laughs> Andy Carroll left Newcastle on deadline day in 2011 to join Liverpool for a Correct. club record fee of £35 million. But who held the Liverpool club record transfer fee before him? I mean, this is a question about Liverpool. It's not a question about Newcastle. Just shut up and answer the question. It's relevant to the Andy Carroll transfer. Well, Torres moved at the same time, didn't he? He moved to Chelsea he for did. £50 million. I don't know if that's the answer, but I'm going to say Torres. No, it was the incoming transfer fee, not Luis the Suarez. It was Luis Suarez, Chris. And do you know Love how yours. long he held the record for? Uh, was it like 24 hours? It was. <laughs> it was 24 hours he held the record, £22.1 million, pounds, uh, and then was blown out of the water by Andy Because they were picked Apparently up together, Carroll, weren't they? I remember that. I they, remember them they were. Oh, no, yeah, Carroll they were, Luis Suarez. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't get on very well, and uh, Luis Suarez usually uh, had had a bit of a dig at Andy Carroll in training at the time and stuff like that. So I think he he maybe uh, he resented Andy Carroll's massive transfer fee. Anyway, nothing for you there, George, with that one. No. Moving on, uh, number two, Chris Martin Dubravka joined Newcastle United on loan from Sparta Prague on deadline day in two thousand and eighteen. How many caps does Martin Dubravka have for Slovakia? Is this multiple choice? Yes. Well, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is it multiple choice or are you just bending to his pressure there? No, it's multiple choice. Right. Well, you just stopped. Yeah, because I was just... It's called a dramatic pause, Colton. You would know about these things if you, if you were a proper <sighs> quiz master. Is it A, 27? Oh, is it B, 35? Or is it C, 24? A. Incorrect. In yes. Twenty four. Well, I was going to say that. There we go. Well, you didn't, and it wasn't no. your question, so shut no. your mouth. Right. Okay. Moving on. This is the quotes round. Chris, we're going to start with you this time. Um, who said this 
when joining Newcastle United. I've had a bit of a head spinning couple of days. There were three great clubs in the frame, but the further it got towards deadline day, the more it became clear that Newcastle was going to be my destination. <sighs> could be anybody. Uh, yeah, <laughs> could be anybody. Three great clubs in the frame. All right, Taylor. <laughs> Don't give him clues. Deadline day, Newcastle United. I'll have to Michael hurry you, Chris. Owen. What was that, Chris? Michael Owen. It was Michael Owen. Well yes. done, Chris. Yes. Joining from Real Madrid. Oh, he's, dropped, he's knocked his microphone over. In celebration. God, you're such a competitive man. What's wrong with you? Take it easy. Pathetic, small, petty little man. Right. Michael Number Owen. Number four. What a, what a great signing. That worked out well, didn't it? Is Martin Dubrovka... <laughs> sorry, this is not really a question I expect us to answer now, but is Martin Dubrovka Newcastle's best deadline day signing ever in that case? Sidhu uh, Dumbia. Sidhu <laughs> <C>. Dumbia. <laughs> Who? Right. Um, okay, George. Question number yes. four for you. Yes. Which of his signings did Glenn Roder say this about? Oh, I know this. Apart from his prowess in the air and his ability to play some good football, he is a, terif- a terrific deft touch and also an eye for goal. Off the field, he's a very intelligent and unassuming young man and there is nothing that you can dislike about him. Oh, that's not the question I thought you were going to ask. Nah. This is far easier than my question. Because I thought... I thought you were going to say, which Glenn Roder player did he describe as the his the best ever free signing or free transfer? And I think he was going to, and that, the answer to that was Antoine Sibieski. Right. And so I was I was listening I was listening with that in mind. So please, can you repeat the question, Taylor? So Glenn Roder said this about who. <sighs> Apart from his prowess in the air and his ability to play some good football, he has a terrific deft touch and also an eye for goal. Off the field, he's a very intelligent and unassuming young man, and there is nothing you can dislike about him. I genuinely don't know this, unless it is Antoine Zibieski. But I don't think it is. Why would you choose that? Who did Glenn Roder sign? I mean, we are on a bit of a clock here, George. I do have to go to work in an hour. So yeah, but they can, edit, they, they, can edit, they can edit this out. That's fine. They can edit out the 20 minutes I'm going to take thinking about this, and it's fine. It'll only sound like two seconds. Yeah, I don't, sure. I don't know. Antoine Sibieski. That is the that right answer. Yes! Far that was far easier. That was far easier than my question. But it wasn't. It wasn't, was it? Because I didn't think that's what he, I didn't think that's what he was going to say. Oh, as I said, best free transfer. I thought that was going to. That, that's the quote about Chris, Antoine Sibieski. Chris, what are you? You got your question right. What is I wrong know, with my you? My question was harder. My question. No, it was wasn't, like, Chris. Every, you, you gave a specific period of Glenn Roder being in charge. Mine was which new. He signed other people on deadline. He Chris, signed other people. Chris, you got it right. I know, but I'm still a few. Shut up and and listen. Oh. You got it right, Chris. I'm sweating. My back is so oh my is God. really sweaty. This is the most stressful thing I've ever done. It's horrible. Right. I hate this. Okay. I'm gonna give you uh two more questions and we've got a tiebreaker if it's still even. It is currently one one. Uh, the last two questions are departures and arrivals. One departure, one arrival. Uh, George, we're going to start with you, and I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to laugh uh, after I've asked the question, and that is the only time you're allowed to laugh at this question, okay? And then we must carry okay. on. Right. Question number five. Brian Penas, 
left Newcastle United. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Let's try that again. <clears throat> Serious face. Brian Penas left Newcastle United <laughs> in 1998 and joined which Dutch oh. team? Heronveen. I've got no idea. Heronveen. Incorrect. Chris, do you know the answer? I don't, but I would guess at NAC Breda. Also wrong. It was Feyenoord. Can I can I just tell a very, very quick story? It takes 10 seconds. When I was Go at the Sunday Sun, the local newspaper up here, for there was a we had a like a Newcastle edition, a Wearside edition, and a, a Teesside edition. And um Uwe Fuchs um left Middlesbrough <laughs> and that the edition, the Teesside edition went with Uwe Fuchs off home and <laughs> it caused absolute it caused absolute sort of um outrage. Well not outrage, but it had to get changed for a second edition, put it that way. I don't think anybody lost their job though. Lovely stuff. Brian Penis, there we go. Shall live long in the memory. Uh last question. Chris, if you get this one, you will win. Okay. Ugh, no pressure. I'm so, so nervous about anything in my life. <laughs> Here we go. Newcastle United signed Curtis Good from which side? Oh god. Um Oof, that's tough. Melbourne Heart. Yes! Chris wins! Oh my god, did you hear his voice? Chris's voice is just broken. Oh god. Chris has won the quiz and also puberty. It's been good this week, but I'll see you later, Trap. Bye. And then puberty at exactly the same time as well. Wonderful stuff. Oh my word. There we go. So Chris takes it. That puts him level on quiz wins with me. Two for me, two for Chris, and one for George. That's not true. Chris I'll hasn't won anything. I'll, 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 I'll take. Oh no, that's one. Tonight. Chris hasn't won anything. No, do apologise, Chris. Look, no, no, that's it. That's it. I'm off. I'm going. I'm definitely going now. That is fucking outrageous. See you later, bye. <laughs> See you next week, maybe. <laughs> Chris on one victory, myself on two, and George on two. There we go. So I've got one as well. Taylor. Taylor. Why did you? Get, I thought you've got I two. Mean, no, I've got one. I mean, I wish I did have two, but what is this? If 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 this is the level of accuracy involved in your marking of the quiz, which is the surely is the most simple thing of all, how can I trust anything that you've done in this quiz? I I'm going to ask for this quiz to be to be chalked off. This quiz, I oh, needs to be a recount. No, this Colgan, week. No, this no, this needs to be chalked off. This no. week's chalked off. No, I'm going. I am going no. now. See, I am genuinely going now. Right. Chris, do you want to hear the tiebreaker question? Yes, I do. Thank you, yeah. Uh, what is the current total market value of Newcastle United's first team squad according to transfermarkt.com to the nearest million? 203 million. Oh, Colgan? Nothing but bitterness. Uh, 251 million was the answer, which I was quite surprised at. I thought it was quite high. Yeah, that is quite. I think that's quite generous. Yeah, I thought so. And obviously, two hundred million pounds of that is made up of Callum Wilson. Um, so the quiz stands currently: two wins to me, one to George, and one to Chris. Apologies, I didn't get that right before, but I was uh, come back too on. busy come back basking in Chris's victory. There we go. He's uh, he's he's genuinely done off, hasn't he? He's gone. Can I just can I just finish with what I'm? Let everyone know what I'm going to contemplate for the rest of the day, and that's whether. Ryan Fraser should be right centre-back going forward. Having finished 
last night's game, seemingly as a right centre-back. I'm going to try and consider whether really that is the right position for five foot three or whatever size he is, Ryan Fraser. I think we I mean, should I start... We should start the Southampton game with the formation we finished the Crystal Palace game with. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure anyone knew exactly what that was, but yeah, I mean, I understood no. he, he was he was trying to he was trying to get more attacking players on the pitch, but it was all very chaotic and that hasn't worked in recent weeks. And Ryan Fraser was the only one actually getting crosses into the box, which was the only thing Newcastle looked dangerous from in the second half. So it was a strange move, but yes, let's. Hope that on Saturday Newcastle uh, revert to last Saturday rather than second half of last night's performance. Definitely. I think it was the car crash formation. I believe that's what that's called. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, and thank you, George, wherever you may be, off in your little sulky world. And of course, thank you all for listening. Uh, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show and leave us a review and a lovely rating if you're feeling generous. We'll see you next week on Pod on the Tine. Thanks very much. Goodbye. The Athletic.